If you're a guest with us, I'd like to welcome you. My name is Jim Shannon, the senior pastor here at Harvest. And maybe you're looking at me going, wow, pastor, you really dress up for Easter. Um, we do when we have a baptism. And I'm excited about having a baptism today. So nope, I don't wear my Sunday best on baptism day. And uh, I want to encourage anybody out there. I don't care who you are. You may be a guest today. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have never been baptized before, get baptized today. You may be thinking, look at me, but Jim, I, I'm, I'm not dressed like you. I, I don't have any clothes. That's okay. We've got clothes for you. We've got shirts and shorts and towels for you, all right? So if you have never been baptized, as I go through this message and you feel the Holy Spirit pricking your heart, this happened. In fact, Emily, would you raise your hand? I'm going to put you on the spot. You see Emily right here? How many years ago was it for you? Six? Seven? I don't know. So about seven years ago then. Yeah, you've been out of high school for a while. But Emily was one of those ones at junior in high school where impromptu stood up, went out, changed, and impromptu got baptized. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized as a believer, whether you are the first time ever or not here, get baptized. Be obedient to what God wants us to do. But hey, um, we are doing a study through the book of John, and we've been in John for um, a long time, and we are in John chapter 12. I'm finishing up John chapter 12. And um, let me ask you a question. If you knew you were going to die in a couple hours, a couple days, you knew it. There was no, well, maybe, nope, you knew it. This is your end date. What would be your final words? What would you talk about? Would you talk about your favorite sports team, the weather, your job? Did you talk about the economy? Would you talk about family? What would you talk about? What would be your final words? It's a deep subject, isn't it? But that's where we are in John chapter 12. As we finish John chapter 12, Jesus the, the words recorded here in the book of John are the last public words Jesus speaks in the book of John. After this, he will not speak publicly again until he's on the cross. He is no longer teaching people. He's no longer doing miracles in front of people. He is at the end of his life. He has a few more days to go before he is crucified. He is a couple days away from going into the Last Supper with his disciples, where he will be privately with them before he's arrested and taken away. Here in, the, in these last few verses of chapter 12 are his final words. And today, that's what I want to look at, are the final words of Jesus and what they tell us. And so I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, Open it up to John chapter 12. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Our ushers have one, some in the back. I'd encourage you to take notes, follow along with your outline. But here's what I want to look at today about the final words of Jesus and what they tell us. And here's the first thing, that he and God are inseparable. The first thing that we're going to see is that Jesus and God are inseparable. So in John chapter 12, starting with verse 44, it says, and Jesus cried out and said, 
those words cried out, actually, it means to shout loudly, to exhort, to strongly appeal to those who are listening. Like I said, he's not, he's not having a teaching moment here. He, he's not saying, hey, let's sit down in, in a kumbaya circle. Let's, let's, let me teach you something again. He's not doing that. He's not doing a miracle so everybody can see. He, in a very loud voice, he's shouting out, and he is trying one last time to appeal to people. He's, he's trying one more time to convince people who he is and what he's been saying about himself. He's saying it in such a way where when he is done saying these words, it's almost like he's like, you've got to get off the fence. He's like, if you're sitting on the fence about me, it's time to get off and make a decision. Either accept me or reject me. Accept me, reject me, but don't be on the fence anymore. And he's crying out to these people. And here's what he begins to tell them. He says, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me has seen him who sent me. He is now trying to get these people to understand one last time that him and God the Father are one. They are inseparable. You don't have one without the other. He's like, if you believe in me, you're not just believing in me, but you're also believing in the one who sent me. If you see me, you have also seen the one who has sent me. And when he says that, you've seen me, you've seen the one who has sent me, he's basically saying, you have seen, if you've seen me, you know me, you know the character of God the Father. If you, in fact, if you look at verse 49, he says, I have not spoken my own on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say, what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So what he's saying, he's like, he goes, if you've seen me, you've seen him who sent me. He goes, so you know the character of God. You know what God is like. You know what God will do. And here he's like, you know what God has already said. Because if I'm saying it, I'm not just saying it on my own. I am saying what God the Father has told me. And what he's saying, he goes, he's like, because God has told me what is to say, he's like, God's already established it in heaven. He's like, it's already a done deal. So here's what God has to say. And I'm saying what God has told me to say. So if you hear me, you're hearing the Father. If you see me, you've seen the Father. And, but you notice, he says, but if you believe in me, he goes, you also believe in the Father. Now, that word believe is the key word for this. And we're going to see this again here in another verse. But this, the, the, the word believe is the key word. That word believe, it means more than just to believe an idea. It means more than just believing facts. It's more than just having this, this like mental head up thing. The idea of believing in Jesus and believing in God the Father, it, it is, has to do with having a complete trust, a complete confidence in. It's actually about the relationship. It's because I know you so well, I believe you. I'm pretty sure if, if Paula, who I've been married to for almost 30 years, if I tell her something, she will probably just take it verbatim at, at face value. Would I, yeah? Why? I know you. I trust you. I, I've been with you for almost 30 years. 
I, I, would, I, I know what you are like. I know what you do. I, I know you. So I believe in you. I trust you. So when Jesus says, if you believe in me, you're not just believing in me, but you're also believing in him who sent me. Now, here's where we need to understand this. Here's what you'll hear people say. Oh, I'm a spiritual person. I believe in God. I, I believe in things about God. I, I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe in, in a lot of things about God. But in the same breath, but I don't really believe in Jesus. Meaning I've never put my faith in Jesus. It's like I can, I, I want to believe in God, but well, Jesus is just another teacher like everybody else. He's the same as Muhammad. He's the same as Buddha. But you know, God, I believe in that. Well, here's what Jesus is saying. He's like, um, if you believe in me, you've got to believe in the Father. But flip it. If you believe in the Father, you've got to believe in me. And here's why. We're inseparable. We are completely unified in one. You don't have one without the other. You can't believe in just one and not the other. And so Jesus is saying, he goes, if you believe in me, you've got to believe in the Father. And if you believe in the Father, you've got to believe in me. And so here, here's the easy equation. If I today have come to the place where I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe in him. I know him. I trust in him. He's my savior. I know him. The equation is because I believe in Jesus, I know Jesus. Guess what? I know the father. But if I don't believe in Jesus, if I have never placed my faith in Christ, if I don't know him in a relational way, if I don't know him as my savior, the equation is if I don't know Jesus, I don't know God. You may know facts about God, but according to Jesus, you don't know him. You don't know Christ. You don't know the father. You know Christ. You know the father. And the reason is, is because they are inseparable. You cannot have one without the other. They are a package deal. So if you today say, oh, I, I'm spiritual, I'm religious, I believe in God, but you've never placed your faith in Christ alone as Savior, you don't know him, then technically, biblically, you don't know the Father. And so Jesus, his final words tell us that he and God are inseparable. Here's the second thing that Jesus' final words tell us. He wants, to shine, he wants to shine truth into the darkness. He wants to shine truth into darkness. Look at verse 46. Jesus says, he says, I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me, there's that word again, believes, whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now, this is something, as we have studied through the book of John, we have seen Jesus talk about it a number of times, contrasting light and darkness. We talked about this last week a little bit um, in a few verses before this in chapter 12. He contrasts a lot 
between light and darkness. And he talks about himself being light and the world being dark. And, and, but the, the idea of darkness and light is not physical light. It's not nighttime and daytime. It is spiritual light and spiritual darkness. He is spiritual light. The world, and not the earth, but the world's system, the world's philosophies, the world's teachings, the culture, it is dark. And the darkness, the spiritual darkness he's just pretty much referring to is the sinfulness in the world, all right? And what he's talking about is he, he's like, you and I live in a dark world. And in this darkness, we truly don't understand and truly don't know what's going on. If you were placed, have, or have you ever been in, in a, a room or a place that was so dark, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face? Like literally, you're like, I cannot see my hand. And no matter where you look, I mean, there is no light coming in nowhere. It is just utter blackness. I mean, and if you're in that kind of condition, in that kind of room, or, or maybe you're in a cave, or you're somewhere, but you, you just no light at all, and it's complete darkness. If you were in a room, let's say even this room, and it was just complete darkness, would you be able to tell me what was in that room? No. You, you can't see anything. Would you be able to tell me how dirty the room is? Nope. Would you be able to tell me if there were any creepy crawlers, little spiders walking around? Nope. Would you be able to navigate the room very well? No. Why? Because it's complete darkness. You cannot see. You don't know what's going on. You can't see the dirt. You can't see the grime. You can't navigate. You don't know anything. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's like, you are in darkness spiritually. In this world, we are all in darkness. And, and the reality is, Jesus says, you don't understand and know it. Because not only are you and I in darkness, but we are also spiritually blind. A blind person cannot tell you if they are in a dark room to begin with. You and I, spiritually speaking, according to the Bible, according to Jesus, we are spiritually blind and in living in spiritual darkness. And the one reason is called sin. You see, the Bible presents this darkness is simply this. It tells us that we all live in the darkness of sin. Romans chapter 3 tells us that we all are sinners. Romans chapter 1 tells us that there is no one, not one person, righteous before God. Galatians chapter 3 says that we are all prisoners of sin. All of us. All of us in here are sinners. Now, you may be thinking, oh, come on, Jim. I know, I know I'm not that perfect. I mean, I've done some, I've done some iffy things. You know, I, you've lined up the Ten Commandments. I know I've probably stolen some things. I've cheated on my taxes. I lied. But overall, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty, I'm a, I'm a fairly good person. Because you compare me next to this guy over here, I'm, I, whoo. You ever do that? Compare yourself to somebody else? Thinking, I'm a pretty good person. Well, here's the thing. You've got to remember the standard that we all are set to. And the standard is not your standard or mine. The standard is not the world's standard because according to the world, we're all pretty good. The standard is God. And you've got to kind of think like God's standard 
almost like the, the stars, all right? Um, you may look at yourself and you're like, you know what? I'm up here on top of Mount Everest, man. I, I'm, I'm pretty high, but Joe Baganonis over here, he's like in the Grand Canyon. Compared to that, I'm doing pretty good. Well, here's the thing. If you're in the Grand Canyon or on the top of Mount Everest, are you still are either one touching the stars? No. You're, you could be on the top of Mount Everest and you are so far from touching the stars. Why? Because that's the standard. So it doesn't matter whether you're in the Grand Canyon or on the top of Mount Everest. You can't reach the standard. God has set a standard for you and me, for humanity. And that standard, when it comes to spiritual stuff, here's the standard. Perfection. You see, the reason why it's, we got to live perfectly in order to be with God is because God is complete holiness. He is complete perfection. There is nothing wrong or off with God. And here's the thing about God being completely holy and per completely perfect is that imperfection cannot be in existence. Perfection and imperfection cannot coexist. That's the problem with you and me. And we are living in this darkness because of sin. And Jesus says, hey, I've come to be a light in this darkness. Jesus has come and he's like, hey, um, the world is telling you here's the standard. But here's God's standard. The world says, hey, here's how you get to God. Jesus says, no, here's how you get to God. The world says, ah, you know what? You may not be perfect, but you're pretty good. You're okay. Jesus says, hey, if you're not perfect, you're not okay. And so God's word, the Bible, it, it's like a light illuminating into the darkness. And guess what? All of a sudden, just like when you and I are in a dark room, if I gave you a flashlight and you turned it on, now all of a sudden you're able to say, oh, wow, there's a lot of stuff in this room. All of a sudden, you're able to say, wow, these shelves are dirty. Look at the dirt on the floor. You're able to see everything around you. The Bible, Jesus, is a light. It is a light communicating to humanity, to you and me, you're in darkness. You're in the darkness of your sin. And Jesus came as a light to illuminate that. But he came as a light, and like he says, whoever believes in me doesn't have to remain in darkness. That's the key. That's what Easter is all about. Jesus coming and dying on a cross, raising from the dead, so that you and I don't have to remain in darkness. And here's the third thing about not remaining in darkness. Why The third point is right off of the second point. And here's the third thing about Jesus' words. It's this. He came to save us from the darkness of sin. So he says, whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. But verse 47, he says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. You see, the world that he's talking about, again, is not the earth it's not even the world system. It's the people. 
Jesus came to save us. But notice, he says, hey, listen, if you hear my word and you don't want to accept it, that's okay. I'm not going to judge you right now. Because Jesus' first coming, when he first came to this earth, he didn't come to judge anybody. He hung out with sinners. When the, the, the religious Pharisees and the religious teachers brought a woman caught in adultery to him, he's like, he's like hey, if you're without sin, throw the first stone. I don't care. But nobody could. All, of, all the religious leaders had to throw their stones down because if they really inwardly looked at themselves, they're like, man, I'm just as bad as this woman. I may not be committing adultery, but I'm a sinner. And they all threw their stones down. And he looks at the woman. And he says, Where, where's your, where's your, the, the guys that wanted to continue? Where, where are they? I, I don't know. And he raises her up and he's like, look, I'm not going to condemn you, but just leave your life of sin. Jesus came the first time not to judge or condemn us. He came to save us. He came to save the world. He came to save humanity because humanity was living in darkness. Humanity was living in this way of thinking, I know, how, I know what is right. I know how to navigate through this dark world. I know what's right and wrong. I'm telling you, you just got to watch the news for five minutes and you're going to realize people do not know what is right and wrong. We think we know how to fix ourselves, and it seems like the more we try to fix ourselves, the more we break ourselves. Jesus is like, look, I'm the super glue. I am the light in the darkness, and I have come to save the world. But save us from what? Because that's a word you, you, you read a lot in the Bible. All right, you know, you, you, you go to big cities and you'll see the big fluorescent lights. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. And a lot of people, you, you hear that, you see that, and you're like, Jesus saves what? $40,000 in a year? What does Jesus save? Water for a rainy day? I don't know. What does he save? Well, he, he tells us here. The Bible makes it very clear what he saves us from. He saves us from the darkness. Jesus says, I'm light into this darkness so you don't have to remain in it. He saves us from the darkness of our sin. But here's the reality that we, you and I need to understand about the darkness of your sin. There's a consequence of your sin. You see, right now, you may think, well, Jim, I'm okay. Yeah, sure, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. And I know I mess up here and there, and I know I lie now and then, and I probably cheat here and now and then, and I've done some things that aren't good now and then, but overall, right now, I'm doing okay. Right now, you may be doing okay. But here's the reality. The heart in your chest, it's beating right now. The lung in your breath is going in and out, but there's going to come a day where God, as fast, I've been watching the master's, and those boys can swing a golf club and they can swing that thing 180 miles an hour and that fast that ball is gone. That's how fast God can say, give me back my breath. That's how fast your heart can beat the last time. And see, here's the problem with this. You may be okay now 
in the here and now, in your life, you may be okay, even though you are still in darkness of sin. You may think you're okay, but here's the reality. Here's the consequence. When this life ends, we continue on. You are either going to go either into the presence of God, but the consequence of our sin says this, um, we are separated from God. You see, in Romans chapter 3, it says that we all are sinners. But the consequence is this. And we all fall short of the glory of God. Like the stars. It doesn't matter what mountaintop you're on. You're not reaching it. And because of our sinfulness, it doesn't matter how good we think we are. We can't reach the glory of God because of our sin. And we fall short of it. In the book of Isaiah, says that our sin, our sinfulness creates a separation between us and God. We're separated. The reason why we're separated, and I said it earlier, sin and perfection cannot coexist with perfection and holiness. And so because we can't be in the presence of God, we are separated from God. And the reality is we are living in the present darkness, but when we die, if I have never believed in Jesus and I don't know him and I don't know the father. I am now separated for all eternity in the darkness of hell. That's the reality. That's the consequence of the sinfulness now. That's what Jesus has come to save us from. He's come to save us from the eternal consequence, not just to save us for the here and now, but to save us for the eternalness of it. He's come to save us out of the darkness. I like what John Calvin says about God, about Jesus not judging anyone. John Calvin says it this way. He says, why then does Christ not choose to condemn them? It is because he lays aside for a time the office of a judge and offers salvation to all without reserve. And stretches out his arms to embrace all, that all may be the more encouraged to turn to him. See, Jesus doesn't stand right now as judge. He is standing as Savior. And he is saying, I have come to save you. And the way that happens is by you and I coming to the place where we believe in him. I love it. Jesus says, whoever believes in me shall not remain in darkness. He doesn't say whoever behaves right. I don't know about you, but I am so glad eternity with God is not based on my behavior. Because how do you know you've behaved well enough? How do you know if you've been good enough? Because, man, I'm telling you, people who are saying, I think I've been good enough to get to heaven. Man, that's like going to, to, to um, Las Vegas, go, showing up to the craps table and laying down all your money and going, I think I'm going to hit a 7 or 11 right now. How many of you would take that chance? Everything you own on one roll of dice. But people do that with eternity all the time. I think I'm good enough. I think I'm okay. I think I've given enough money to charity. I think I've gone to church enough. I think I've said enough prayers. And yet here's the thing. How do you know your goodness has outweighed your badness? Because the Bible makes it very clear that we are appointed to die once appointed to die once. And then onto that, 
is judgment. Because if you look at verse 48 now, this takes us right into our last point. We're appointed to judgment after death. And that's why we have to take care of this now. Because in verse 48, it says this. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. You see, right now you are okay. But like I said, your heart will beat for the last time one of these days. And you'll take a last breath one of these days. And in that moment, judgment comes. And Jesus says there is a last day. There is going to be an examination day. There will be a time, as Revelation tells us, that there will be a throne, a white throne. And God is on that throne. And people will stand before him, great and mighty, rich and poor, is going to stand before that, ju- before that throne and judgment will happen and take place. See, Jesus says, here's the, the fourth point is that he gives us an option. He gives you and I an option to accept him and to accept his word. He's like, whoever rejects me or whoever accepts me, it's an option. He gives you the choice. He's like, if you believe in me, if you choose to accept me and believe in me, you won't remain in darkness here and forever. But if you reject me, you reject my word in the here and now, you're hearing the word of Christ. And in this moment, every one of you has a decision to make. Do I accept it or do I reject it? Do I believe it or do I not? And you can reject it right now. Jesus isn't going to judge you right now. He is still giving you the opportunity, the age, the window of grace, the window of forgiveness is still open. And he's not going to judge you if you reject it right now. It's not happening. He's still going to try to call you to believe in him. But if you continue through life saying, no, 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 don't need it, don't need it, heard that, heard that before, don't need it, I'm okay, I'm good enough, I'll be all right, and then you die, and you don't know and have never believed in Jesus, then that makes you not knowing the Father, and you're going to be eternally separated from the Father, and Jesus says, that person, what will judge that person is my word. What I said will come back around and you will stand and give judgment according to the word of Christ on that last day. Now, here's what people will say. One is, well, that's not fair. God needs to be fair. You don't want God to be fair. Because if God was fair, um, we would not have the Bible to begin with. Jesus would never have come because fairness would be God saying you are a sinner, judgment immediately gone. You don't want God to be fair. But what people do say is, well, I just don't believe God would send anybody to hell. That just sounds really bad. And if God is a God of love, I just don't, I just don't, I can't buy into that. 
I think everybody's going to go to heaven, and I just can't believe that God would send anybody to hell. Here's the thing. God does not send anybody to hell. We send ourselves to hell. We pass judgment on ourselves. It's kind of like a student in school. The teacher, you're, you're in a history class, and on Monday... The teacher says, hey, we're over this next week. We're going to study chapters one and two of over the Civil War. And on Friday, we're going to have a test. And so I would encourage you to read through chapters one and two. Study what we're going to be going over over the next few days because come Friday will be the test. Now, how do you have many of you know, and maybe some of you were like this because I was like this. You didn't pay attention to the teacher. You thought you knew better. I don't need to study. Forget that. And then you come, uh, Friday is test time, and you're like, oh, I don't know any of this. And you start taking the test, and you're just winging it, and you get that test back, and it doesn't have an A on it. It doesn't have a B on it. It doesn't have a C or a D. What letter do you think is on it? An F, meaning failure. Now, let me ask you, is it the teacher's fault and her or his blame for the F or the students. If the student didn't study, if the student didn't do anything, if the student disregarded what the teacher had to say, didn't care what she had to say, just decided I'm going to wing it, I'm going to do what I, and ends up failing the test, that student cannot blame the teacher. The teacher was just giving the result of what the student did. The student or the teacher had already warned the students, the test is coming. Here's what needs to be studied. And on test day, you best know what you've studied. And if that student had not studied and not paid attention and they get an F, the only person that student can blame is themselves. Because the teacher gave fair warning. God is giving us all Fair warning. I sent my son to die for you. You all are sinners. You all are in darkness. You all don't know where you're going. You all don't know how to navigate this thing. You all are separated from me for all eternity. You all cannot get there on your own. So I sent my son to die for you. I sent my son to die on a cross. I sent my son to be the payment for your sin. And all you've got to do is come to the place where you believe in him. Where you accept the fact, I am a sinner. And you believe the fact that your sin will separate you from God for all eternity. And you will be, remain in darkness now and forever. And the only thing that can get you out of the darkness is the light of Christ. And the only way you can get the light of Christ into your life is you've got to come to the place where you say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I need you. And Jesus, I ask that you will come into my life. I ask that you will forgive me of my sin. I ask that you will be my savior and my Lord of my life. And it's in that moment when you surrender your life to Christ and you accept Christ alone for your salvation, that's when the light of Christ comes into your life and takes you out of the darkness and sets you on a path to be with God forever and ever. But if you continue to reject what the teacher has been telling us, 
The test is coming. Are you ready for the test? And if you keep saying, no, I don't need it. No, I don't want it. Test day will come. And you will get an F. Loved ones, you and I are responsible for our eternal destiny. Only you know where you will go. Only you can make the decision where you will go after this life. I can't make it. Your best friend can't make it for you. Your spouse can't make it. Your mom and dad, your child, no one else can make it for you. God himself won't make it for you. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, I'll give you eternal life. But whoever doesn't want to believe in me, you have to suffer the consequences. So loved ones, where are you at? Jesus tells us in John chapter 12, come to the light so you can be children of the light. Where are you at? If you would, bow your heads with me, please. If you would just bow your heads and just... Nobody looking around, please. I just want you to just do some inward thinking of where are you at spiritually? Where are you at in your knowing God and Jesus? What's your eternal destiny look like? If you want to change your eternal destiny and you want to make sure that you will be going and being with God, this is your time. And all you've got to do is say, Jim, I, I need Jesus as my Savior. And today, if you would like to accept Christ as your Savior, I can't teach you anymore. Just like Jesus, there was no more teaching, no more miracles. Maybe today you've heard a lot about Jesus in your life. Maybe today it's time to get off the fence. Maybe today is the day that you finally make a decision and say, Jesus, be my Savior. If that's you, if you want Christ as your Savior, would you please raise your hand because I want to pray with you. Is there anyone here that says, Jim, I don't know Christ. I don't know where I'm going to go. If I were to die today, I need Jesus as my Savior. Is there anyone here? Because I don't want you to leave the day without knowing for sure. Is there anyone here? Well, I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And even as we're singing... No, we're not going to be singing. We got a baptism. So I'm going to clap. That's right. I've heard all about that. See, I'm usually tip, used to a typical Sunday. So I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And um, I want to give you just two encouragements. One, two challenges, I mean. One, if you're here right now as a believer, you've never been baptized. While I'm praying, I want you to get up. There's two elders in the back. Go talk to them. Tell them your story. Get dressed. Come in and be baptized. Second challenge is this, as I'm praying, if you don't know Christ as your Savior and you're feeling that tug on your heart, you're feeling that, that, like that little still small voice saying, come and believe, I would like for you to get up and go talk to the elders and tell them that you've never accepted Christ. Let them pray with you then get baptized. So let me close this in a word of prayer and then we're going to get our baptism going. So Father, we do thank you. We praise you for who you are. We just thank you, Jesus, for coming and to save us and 
to be our savior, to get us out of the darkness. And I just pray, Lord, that, that as we just do this baptism, that still, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just speak to people. Lord, we, we thank you that Everly has made a decision, even as a third grader, to say, I want, I want Jesus as my savior. And Lord, we're gonna celebrate this baptism with her and we're just thanking you for it. I just give you the praise and the glory and we just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, where's Everly? Everly, are you ready? You gonna come with mom?